Well, hey everyone, I am glad you're here as we begin this brand new series today. We're calling it Scars on the Soul. And uh, really, it's a series where we're going to lean into some subjects uh, that the church has typically shied away from. And when I say the church, I don't just mean the orchard. I mean the church in general. Uh, And I think in fairness, um, that's because the issues that we're going to talk about in this short three-week series, the issues of anxiety, depression, and addiction, um, these are very complicated issues, right? Um, and, And I think in many ways, the experience of these issues can be unique to the people who are dealing with them. And to be just completely honest with you, as we get going today, I've personally been a little intimidated about preparing for this series. Um, And the reason why is that these are issues that I don't take lightly, and I want to make sure that these are issues that we don't treat lightly. You know, I understand these really are sensitive issues in a lot of people's lives, especially if you right now are going through any one of them. These are very sensitive issues. And sometimes when people mean well, they mean to help, they can wind up hurting. But what I believe beyond that is that Scripture addresses each of these issues. Like God in His Word addresses these issues in some way. And what we can't do is we can never be afraid of doing our best to apply the life-giving truth of God's Word to even the most painful areas of our lives. So that's why we're leaning into this series. Um, But let me pause for just a minute before we really get going. And the reason why is because right now some of you are maybe even getting ready to click off of this. You're kind of leaning back, checking out, because one of two reasons. Number one, you don't think this stuff is a big deal. You think it's all overblown hype for sensitive snowflakes or whatever. Uh, or number two, maybe even more likely, you say, well, Chip, I don't know that it's not a big deal. It's just not something I deal with personally. Look, even if these struggles aren't affecting you right now, undoubtedly you have somebody in your life that you are close with who is dealing with one of these issues. The data, and we're going to look at some in just a minute, tells us that it is almost a certainty that people in your life are dealing with this. And so you, learning about these issues now, and even more importantly, learning how to approach them biblically, are going to enable you to love on and to care for the people in your life well. Because the truth is, every single one of these issues are becoming more and more common, and they are impacting the lives of people more every single year. Let's just take a look at the issue we're going to deal with today, the issue of anxiety, and look specifically at how widespread this has gotten. Uh, The uh, ADAA uh, released a report that said anxiety disorders are now among the most common mental disorders in the U.S. They affect approximately 40 million adults. That means that 19% of the United States population age 18 and up has suffered with a mental anxiety, I'm sorry, an anxiety disorder. Uh, That number is even higher for adolescents age 13 to 18. That affects 31.9, almost 30 2% of adolescents in that age. Uh, It's an estimate uh, that somewhere around 31% of every adult in the United States is going to uh, experience some type of anxiety disorder throughout their lives. So that's almost one in three. If you know three people, chances are at some point in their life, one of them is going to deal with an anxiety disorder. If you have five people in your life, chances are one of them is dealing with anxiety right now. Those numbers are staggering. And even if you don't deal with a diagnosable anxiety disorder, 
you more than likely are going to have to deal with some significant level of anxiety at some point in your life. And maybe that word anxiety seems like a strong word to you. But the truth is, anxiety, worry, concern, whatever you call it, they're really varying degrees of the same thing, right? Like concern is something that's not a big deal we all have. Anxiety is a big deal. Hopefully we don't have. And worry is that thing in the middle. But they're all the same thing, right? Um, And there are multiple factors, uh, many of which are beyond our control, that make us more or less susceptible to anxiety. Um, And these same factors can also make us uh, more prone to a severe physical reaction to that anxiety. For example, uh, anxiety in someone's life could be caused by underlying health issues. Uh, For others, it may be because of an experience of of trauma or tragedy in their life. For many people, uh, it's simply the result of just stress and that stress building up and compounding over the years and, and even your propensity toward a severe physical reaction to anxiety, to a severe experience of anxiety, that can boil down to just how you're hardwired. Just your personality and your family genetics. But even beyond all of those unique factors, the cultural moment that we are all living in right now has led to a significant increase in anxiety amongst Americans. Just think about this from the U.S. News. The 60s and early 70s, a time often cast as a historic era for civil rights and women's rights, was also known as an era of three political assassinations, law enforcement killings of students at Kent State and Jackson State, the murders of three civil rights workers who were registered people to vote in the South, a lengthy Vietnam War that divided the nation and claimed tens of thousands of American casualties. In the 70s, inflation was high, gas shortages were bad enough they required rationing, with drivers only allowed to buy gas on alternate days, but now all of those things, according to the U.S. News, seem like they're happening all at once. COVID, inflation, wars, shootings, they have all led to rapidly increasing levels of anxiety in Americans. For two and a half years, it's felt like just one more thing. And those short-term things that we're dealing with, they don't feel short when you're in the middle of them. There's this sense that things are just spiraling. And even if you're doing well, even our prosperity and our success can make us more prone to facing anxiety. You may say, oh, what do you mean? I thought that you know I would be less worried about things once I started doing well. No, because the more you have to lose, the more you tend to worry. So because of all of that, there has even been a significant increase in the prescription of anti-anxiety medications, right? In the year prior to the start of the pandemic, uh, you know, somewhere around 16% of Americans were using anti-anxiety medication. Two years later, that number jumped to 23%. And that raises some questions, right? Because many people have asked, well-meaning they have asked, about whether such medications are appropriate for a follower of Jesus in dealing with an issue such as anxiety. Um, And my thoughts about Christians and anxiety medication, uh, and take that to depression medication we're going to talk about next week, really line up with the stance of the Biblical Counseling Center. This is what they say. It is not wrong to want to feel better or want the uh, restless sleep, pounding chest, and profuse sweating to go away. 
Since anti-anxiety medication simply changes the way anxiety feels, those who say taking medicine to feel better is sinful would have to apply that principle to virtually every medicine choice, even pain medicine. So, so I think, no, it is not wrong for a Christian to use anti-anxiety medication. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus and you are on medication for anxiety issues. Look, I want you to hear me. It is not wrong for you to want to feel better. And virtually all counselors and all physicians agree that that medication can and often does help ease those physical symptoms that accompany anxiety. But they also all virtually agree that those medications cannot ultimately cure the root causes for anxiety. Now, to, to be clear, feeling better is a good and worthy cause. But feeling better is the best that medication can offer. And I think the reason why is something that most physicians don't get. And that is that anxiety is not only a medical issue, it's not only a mental health issue, anxiety is also a spiritual issue issue. Anxiety is in many ways a part of the human condition in our fallen state. Fear itself is at the core of our anxiety. Anxiety really is by definition the fear of something happening that is beyond our control, even if we're not sure exactly what that thing is. Anxiety represents an awareness that, that we are not in control. And the more we hold on to that illusion of control, or at least the more we desire that control, the more anxious we find ourselves becoming. And so, if anxiety really is realizing how out of control we really are, then the answer has to go deeper than medication or relaxation. Again, from the Biblical Counseling Center, they say, God has created us as an emotional people. Our emotions are given to us by God to put us into motion. For instance, anger is driven by a sense of injustice and a desire to oppose something we feel isn't right. In the same way, fear is a God-given emotion. When our mind alerts us to danger, real or perceived, anxiety is what we feel when our body is responding to the emotion of fear. And then they go further. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus addressed the fear, worry, and anxiety that those around him were experiencing. However, he didn't just do that to bring physical comfort to those experiencing the ill effects of anxiety. He challenged those who he encountered to understand the spiritual significance of anxiety. Fear, worry, and anxiety affect our physical health, but they also reflect our spiritual health. In conversations with Jesus, his questions often expose the values and thinkings that were causing fear, anxiety, and worry. His goal was never to shame those who honestly sought him, but rather his questions were an invitation to trust him as the creator and provider of all that they truly needed. And I think we find a clear example of Jesus doing just that in the text we're going to look at today, and that is Luke chapter 10 starting in verse 38. So if you got your Bible, I would invite you to go there with me, and we're going to see some familiar faces here in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, as we see Jesus deal with anxiety in someone that he loved. So here we go, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, while they, that's Jesus and his disciples, were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. 
But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried. That word literally could be translated anxious. You are anxious and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. So here we are in Luke chapter 10, meeting the same sisters we met last week. Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus. And here in Luke chapter 10, they're showing many of the same characteristics we saw in John's gospel last week at the resurrection of their brother. Here is Martha running to, to, to meet Jesus, to talk to Jesus. She's a woman of action, and, and Mary is in a more relaxed, contemplative posture. Why does Martha come to Jesus? Well, because here's Jesus and all of his followers that have come to their house, and she's trying to take care of them. She's trying to fix a meal. She's trying to make sure they had water for a bath. She's trying to make sure they had places to rest. She was busy being hospitable. And in that busyness, she's feeling the weight of everything that she has to get done. And in that moment, she knows that she can't get it done all by herself. And so she runs to Jesus. Now, it's worth noting here, if we'll pause, that this Mary-Martha passage at the end of Luke chapter 10 immediately follows the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. You remember the Good Samaritan, right? That a man fell among robbers, he was left on the side of the road, a Levite passed him by, a priest passed him by, ultimately a thought-to-be, no-good Samaritan passes him by, but he's the one who takes care of him. He takes care of him by showing him generosity, hospitality, and taking care of his physical needs. Why is it important to recognize that that passage precedes this one? Because hospitality here isn't the issue. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong by seeking to take care of Jesus and his companions. Matter of fact, hospitality is a gift and a grace that God has given us to give to others. That hospitality wasn't the issue. What was the issue is how what she was doing affected Martha. In fact, the use of the words that we find from Jesus there in verse 41, the CSB we're reading says worried and upset. Those words could literally and probably better be translated anxious and troubled. Those two words combined together there seem to indicate a fairly severe anxiety that Martha was experiencing. This was far beyond the normal busyness of just having people over to your house. Uh, one author that I read this week even suggested that Martha may have been on the verge of having a panic attack. Uh, one of the roots of the words in the original language is the same root that we get our words spasm and spastic from. We may well say that Martha was spazzing out here in Luke chapter 10. And the point is, I think, that Martha was on the verge of losing it. And I think you've probably been there yourself. I know I have where life gets so overwhelming and we're so busy and stressed and worried and anxious that we feel like we can't hardly keep a grip. See, that's the issue that's going on here. But how does Jesus address Martha? And how does he address her anxiety? See, Jesus doesn't really chastise or even criticize Martha. Rather, Jesus calls her by name and points her back to himself. What does Jesus say to her there again in verse 41? He says, Martha, Martha. 
In the Semitic languages, when you double a word, that's a magnification of it. Kind of like if you grew up reading the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you. It's a magnification. The same is true when you double someone's name. It is a magnification of emotion, a magnification of feeling. The use of a double name in Scripture is normally accompanied by weeping. Think of uh, David weeping over his son, Absalom, Absalom. Think of Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you to myself. Or even Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, shows us that he was not dismissing her. He was not acting condescending towards her. But it reveals his love and ultimately compassion toward her. In the middle of this severe anxiety Martha was dealing with, Jesus responds to her with deep care and genuine concern for her and what she was dealing with in the moment. Jesus doesn't say that Martha is irrational or that she's crazy for being anxious and feeling overwhelmed. In fact, I believe that Jesus sympathizes with her here in her struggle. But what he says is that he's not going to stop Mary from sitting there at his feet. Now, this is significant, right? He doesn't criticize, he doesn't chastise uh, Martha, but he says, I'm not going to make Mary move because of what you're feeling. See, he understands Martha's anxiety, but he still affirms Mary's choice. You see, I think underneath all of Martha's anxiety and effort was an attempt for her to validate herself through her actions and appearance. Um, Now, when I say appearance, I don't mean appearance in like a physical beauty sense. It's just simply that Martha was trying to appear to Jesus, to appear to others, probably even appear to herself in a way that she thought she should. In other words, she she was trying to live up to an image of who she should be that she had created in her mind. See, I believe it's trying to live up to that image of who she should be that fueled her anxiety. What she did was so bound up in how she saw herself that when she wasn't able to accomplish everything that she thought she should, she wound up at her breaking point. I mean, other examples of that may be that I have anxiety when I don't do well on a paper at school because I see myself want to appear as a good student. Or maybe I have anxiety at home with what it takes to be a good mother because if I don't appear to be to others and to myself a good mother, then I'm not good. Or maybe I have anxiety when I don't meet the expectations of the people in my life because I need to be seen as somebody who always gets it right. That's what anxiety does. That's what it was doing to Martha. But here's the good news. In those moments of anxiety, instead of our anxiety getting to define who we are, it can actually be a window that allows us to see even deeper into deeper places of our hearts. What do I mean? Our anxiety can show us where we are still clinging to control in places that we never really controlled. And long ago, we should have turned them over to Jesus. Our anxiety can show us what we fear losing the most. And in so doing, reveal to us those good things in our life that we have turned into God-sized things in our lives. 
our anxiety can show us where we're still trying to work or earn our way to acceptance instead of resting in the acceptance that has been purchased and gifted to us by Jesus on the cross. You see, we are justified by faith, apart from works, apart from effort. And that's the gospel message. And so that gospel message exposes the situations of our life for what they really are. We are out of control, not just in our life, but in our salvation. But the good news in both of those, our salvation and life, Jesus is in control. And if you can trust him with your salvation, you can trust him with your now. And you can trust him with your tomorrow. You see, the gospel tells us that we don't have to be defined by our failures or successes. We are defined by Jesus. You see, this is really why one of my biggest issues with this passage in particular is that it's usually seen just as a passage for women's ministries. Look, that's ridiculous. This is a passage for every disciple of Jesus. Most of us, especially those of us who struggle with anxiety, bounce between being like Martha and being like Mary. You see, I think Martha is a picture of us in our worst moments, right? We're distracted, we're anxious, we're desperately trying to maintain control and keep up an appearance through our effort and sheer will. And Mary's a picture of us in our best moments where we are loving God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul and completely resting in His love, care, and His presence. And we're in between those. Some days we're Martha, some days we're Mary. But until we understand Martha's struggle of letting go of that control, of letting go of keeping up those appearances, of letting go uh, trying to earn our way towards something. Until we understand Martha's struggle, we can't understand Mary's sitting, right? Without going through what Martha experienced and learning to let go of it, we're not going to get to what Mary experienced and ultimately learn to rest in it. So what does that mean? Do I think that in our time together today, I'm going to help you fully, once for all, forever conquer your anxiety? No. Here are some things I do think. Number one, can Christians struggle with anxiety? A hundred percent they can. Anyone who tells you that a Christian doesn't struggle with anxiety, they're wrong. Next, is it okay for a Christian to take anxiety medication? Yes. And it'll probably help you overcome some of those symptoms. It'll probably help you feel better. But can anxiety medication or any relaxation technique bring freedom from anxiety? Sadly, no. Because this isn't just a mental or a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. In my reading, I heard one doctor say it like this. He says, the goal of the Christian life is to see Jesus. And we're going to be ultimately changed by seeing Jesus. But sometimes anxiety can make it foggy. Well, the medication... Can't make you turn your eyes to Jesus, but it can help you clear the fog. So it's both and, right? Here's the last question. Can Jesus use our anxiety for good and ultimately help us overcome its grip in our lives? Without a doubt. Maybe not just from today, but if you will continue to strive to look toward Jesus, 
to trust Him with the things that are out of your control, to have Him reveal to you the areas of your life that you're still working for something that He has freely given, yes, I believe that you can overcome anxiety. Let me read to you just one last passage of Scripture. Find it just actually a few chapters later in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or the body, what you will wear. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to your life by worrying? If then you're not even able to do a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor, spin thread. Yet, I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God closes the grass which is in the field today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, how much more is he going to do for you? You have little faith. Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink. And don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things. And your father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're struggling with anxiety, maybe you would do well to meditate this week on those words of Jesus. Learn to release control. Learn to seek his kingdom, not try to build your own. And trust your treasure to him. Whatever that treasure is, trust it to him. Because by putting your eyes on Jesus and placing your trust in him, you too can overcome that scar on your soul. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time that you've given us today to look to your word. And God, I pray that it has been helpful. I pray that those who are struggling most severely with anxiety this morning would begin to see freedom and hope in the person of Christ and that you would help them to put their eyes on him, knowing that he meets them with compassion, knowing that he genuinely cares and understands, and that ultimately... He provides a way to be healed. It's in his name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.